Now we'll turn it over to Melissa. Great, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for your service, Stephanie. And thanks, Katie G and, and all of you. So my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Welcome, welcome. And, um, you know, for those of you that are new, I'm really glad that you found your way here. Um, we really hope to provide one another with good information, clear direction, and a loving and supportive environment. So um, last time um, we were start, you know, we went through we agnostics and we stopped. Um, and tonight I'm going to pick up on page 48. So we're, you know, we're a little bit of the ways in. Um, and uh, many of us, so it's, we're going to start right here. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. And, you know, if you bristle with antagonism, it means that you're aggressive and angry and you take an aggressively defensive attitude and um, an antagonistic is hostile, right? An opposition of a principle. And many of us have actually come in here with that attitude towards God. And, um, you know, the last time I sort of really tried to um, drill in that um, agnosticism is not something that we're really meant to embrace. We're actually meant to let go of it, that it will not serve us, that agnosticism, that feeling of that there can't be a God, right? Or you can't be certain of a God is not aligned with really what we're hoping for because actually what we're looking to have is a spiritual awakening where we, the central fact of our lives is the absolute certainty of God's existence and not just God's existence, but that there's a personal relationship with this. So agnosticism, um, it's not really a badge of honor, right? It's really not a badge of honor. It's really something we're supposed to look to let go of, to release, but we come in here bristly and antagonistic. And, and, you know, I know I've definitely been this person. I came in and was mad when people spoke about God. That was my position. Um, I didn't really want to hear about God at first, right? At first. But for me, I pointed out all the tragedies that I experienced. That, that was my position. And I pointed those out as evidence. That was my evidence that God either didn't care enough about me to help me or that there was not a God that could do anything to help. And that was the way that I felt about God. Um, and both positions did nothing to bring me comfort and certainly did not help me to stop eating, right? So those were not positions that were good for me. And I see many people come in with that same hostile and touchy attitude, pretty common. But here's what happens, right? It says, faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded to spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. So yeah, being out of options is actually beneficial for us. Like getting a good beating is, is really the best thing that can happen for us. Um, you know, the last, um, 
it's interesting because that, you know, in a big book study that a lot of you probably participate in in the morning that we've been, that the last few days of it, um, they've been discussing the different types of drinkers, right? That's been the discussion, the different types. And, you know, the moderate, the hard and the true alcoholic. And I think about how um, I may never had come to find God if I um, had not been a victim of alcoholic destruction. If I were just moderate and if I was just the hard, um, I don't know that someone like me who was bristly and antagonistic would have found God, right? And so I can honestly say today that this is why, you know, when people say that they're a grateful, compulsive overeater, I am, I'm incredibly grateful that I'm a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. Like I'm super happy that that's the variety that I am. Um, because this disease was my great persuader. It persuaded me, right? It forced me, for me, it forced me into a relationship with God. And this is one way that I know that my human perspective is so narrow and small, right? Because all of my life, I was sore. I was annoyed that I was unable to eat something like normal people. I was really, that made me really angry. It didn't seem right. And yet all along, I actually discover now that it was a wonderful gift because it was my vehicle for finding God, right? That, um, that that was what I needed, this particular person needed in order to cultivate a relationship with God. And so now it says, instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word. Um, so what shifted was that the evidence, remember I said I had this evidence. I gathered evidence that, um, that there couldn't be a God or there couldn't be an effective God because these bad things happened to me, right? And, but the evidence that I gathered to conclude that there was not a, an effective God, it was faulty evidence. The evidence was not real evidence um, I, because I believed God's job was to live in agreement with my plan. I had a plan and God did not live in agreement with my plan. He didn't deliver it. And, and I have to say, you know, my plans were not necessarily awful plans. They were pretty good. My plans were plans that included no loss, right? I did not have a plan that included horrific loss. Um, my plan included no pain, no loss, no pain, no death, no disappointment. That was my plan, right? And, you know, but I'm not God. Right. So when I gather the evidence that when these things happen, there must not be God, what's what was incorrect was that I'm just an intelligent, capable woman, right? Spearhead of God's ever advancing creation, right? Just just a person um, who's meant to be an agent of God, not God an agent of mine. Right? It's not this is my will, and now then to my will, God. And what I found was that the real evidence um, that I was gathering up was, was faulty because 
all along the real evidence was there. And what were what was the real evidence? That I was consistently given the resources in order to survive loss, pain, tragedy, right? That somehow I walked through many of those difficult times. And um, and when I looked at that evidence, I realized that I was consistently being given people, resources, and actually a weird pocket of strength. Like God gave me the things I needed to survive the insurvivable. And, um, you know, so really what I wanted from God was I wanted to not have a human experience, right? Because unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, but the human experience includes loss. It just does. It includes tragedy. I mean, that's just part of what it means to be human. There's the full range of a human life. Um, and, you know, my research, I say, was faulty. The, the data I gathered was wrong. It was wrong data. On page 49, it says, we who have traveled this dubious path beg of you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religions. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about organized religion. We've learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions of people of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. So I would say it's very crucial that we lay aside prejudice against organized religions. We should not, I believe, we should not be religion bashing, right? We should not speak ill, poorly, of anybody's religious backgrounds, including perhaps I hear it sometimes that many people talk about their own difficulty, then they might even name their religion that they grew up in a certain religion and that religion was not good for them. And they, and they make a point of pointing out what was wrong with that religion. And we're not really supposed to do that. That is not beneficial for us. We're actually supposed to see that religion, whether you believe in it or not, a specific religion, it gives people purpose and direction. And that's what we're supposed to focus in on, that we're supposed to lay aside the prejudice we feel about a faith and instead look about the gifts that those faiths provide us. Page 50 says, in our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. And it says they flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. And when I read that, I think, okay, we're being told specifically how we're supposed to share our story. This is direction for qualification, I think. It's telling me what a qualification should entail. First, tell how we first approached God. How did we first 
come, maybe it was bristly, maybe it was antagonistic, right? Maybe it was fearful. That was our first approach. Then how we took step two, how we came to believe, how we took step three, took a certain attitude toward God, meaning we took the attitude of surrendering and serving. That's the simple attitude that we're supposed to take. That we're, you know, I'd say like my step three means that um, like I wanna be on team God. I ask God to, you know, help me want what you want. Help me do what you want me to do. Help me think what you want me to think. Help me feel how you want me to feel. Help me be more able to live in agreement with your will. Make your will known to me, right? And then give me the strength and resources in order to live in agreement with your will, not you bend to my will, right? And that's a certain simple attitude that we're supposed to take. And then how we did other simple things. That's what it says, then how we did other simple things, four through 10, right? Those are the other simple things we did and how we had a revolutionary change in living and thinking. So we share in our qualifications, we share how our thinking has changed and how our lives have changed, how there's been a revolution, right? And we describe our personality change and the effect it has had on others. We describe how in the face of collapse and despair and failure, we found God. God met us in our mess. That's what we're supposed to tell people, that God met us in the mess of our lives and his power flowed in and gave us peace, happiness, and direction. And so our qualifications, we give credit to our creator. We don't take credit, right, for it, but we give all credit to God. We make God the hero of our story. And that's what we really, that's what we really try to hope to do, that we don't, um, we don't keep that a secret, what the power really is, right? That the power really comes from God. We give God the credit and we continue to drown, you know, to drill down that God is the hero. God is the hero. Page 51 says, they show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. So if you remember the last time, and I did say it again here, because I think it's very important, um, that we pointed out how agnosticism is something we want to let go of. Like, and here's why, right? If I want to transmit anything to you, it's only transmittable if I've received it, right? That's the only way I can share anything is that I've actually been a recipient of it. And what have I received? Not more human power, not more Melissa power right? What have I received? I've received God's power. That's what it says, God's power. We who have recovered have the consciousness of the presence of God, meaning we know, we know that there's a God, 
right? That we're fully awake and aware of this existence of God. And we're sure of it. We're certain of it because we've been awoken to it. That's the consciousness. We've been awoken to this thing, right? This God, God's presence. We can feel it. We know it. It's, we're aware of it. Um, agnostics feel, right? The definition of agnosticism means they feel that nobody can have certainty. And yet this says the exact opposite, that it's the most important fact. That's certainty, that it's the most important fact of our lives. And why do we share this? To encourage others to have faith. That's the purpose. And when we say that we followed these sets of, I mean, I'll tell you, I followed these sets of directions and I came in here initially bristly and antagonistic and mad that I didn't get what I wanted. And somehow, somehow, steps later, I was like fully aware of an existence of God and I could feel a connection. And the reason I share it is to encourage other people to do the exact same thing, that this is not just a, an anomaly, not like a fluke that it happened to me, but that we have directions for being awakened and aware of the presence of God. And so that's why we share that. Um, page 52, it says, it is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new, which does. So how many old ideas, you know, gadgets and theories have I willingly picked up and replaced as soon as there seemed to be something more helpful, right? Um, in fact, I never even demand that I comprehend their power and I don't even look too much at their effectiveness, right? So it's like a good example is like um, the, I get an update on my phone to press update. I never even like, I hardly ever think about it. I just, okay, yeah, automatic update. I don't know how it works. I don't know that it's actually going to improve anything, but I'm like, all right, I'm really happy and quick to discard the old gadget, get the new one, right? Try something new. Um, and yet, I don't often, you know, we don't often have the same, um, you know, low uh, benchmark for God. It's like, um, you know, I might even, I might not even know their effectiveness. And yet for me, the God idea was a struggle, right? That's like, mm, I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. You know, I'm not ready to, to like get this new idea, right? And then we're told, could you keep an open mind? Could you at least keep an open mind to it? Um, and now we're gonna look at the bedevilments, right? So here's the bedevilments, page 52. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were afraid, we were uh, um, misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of usefulness. We were uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of help to other people. And was not a basic solution to these bedevilments more important 
than whether we should see newsreels you know, of evidence. And, and of course it was. So bedevilments, I would say, are the consequences of my management. Like when I look at these bedevilments, that's, that's my evidence that my management stinks, right? That's the evidence that managing it, that me as God, me as, you know, thinking I'm the great I am leads me this way, right? Um, and the evidence that I really see is that I need a new idea or a new theory. Like the bedevilments tell me, you better get a new idea. You better get a new theory. And when others discuss the way that they experienced these consequences and they are no longer experiencing them and they give God the credit, right? That's the evidence I need to discard my old ideas. And for me, the old ideas were, diet, were ideas about diets, about food, about exercise, about everything else, right? Of course, about God, of course, about faith, of course, about religion, and embracing you, right? When we saw that others solved their problems by a simple reliance upon this spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. Page 53, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What is our choice to be? And I would say, this is the question I ask myself in all matters, especially the tough ones. Is God everything or is he nothing? We really do have to make a choice, right? And crushed by crisis is one option, right? Crushed by crisis, take that route or freedom, right? And if we're the real compulsive overeater who can't moderate. We're not the heavy eater. We're not the moderate eater. It means that the only option is a self-imposed crisis or a spiritual experience. That's it. Those are the only two options for us. Page 55 says, actually, we were fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God, right? So fooling myself thinking, yeah, I don't have any understanding of God and there is no God and what is God anyway. And fundamental is an essential structure, function, or facts. And two, central importance. So my, you know, inside me is this, absolute idea, this very important idea of God. It's right there inside me. And we're told though it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, and by worship of other things. So this fundamental idea that exists inside me might be blocked, might be clouded, obscured, can't see it, might be hidden by disastrous events, or great big shiny man-made accomplishments that we attribute to our own 
power, right? So both of those, one is like either the awful things that happened for me block me from seeing God's presence or the incredible gifts that I somehow attribute to my own human power and or worshiping other things. Anything that I worship is another way that makes it very difficult for me to feel the presence of God. And, you know, when I say like I worship other things, they're, you might, they're my human desires. They're the things that I desire. Those are the things that I tend to worship. So it might be what I want for my kids. It might be the kind of house I want. It might be the job I want, right? When I worship those other things, status, it makes it difficult to see God. So, so here, right, there's three things that can keep me that at this point from seeing God. One is a terrible tragedy. One is incredible success. And the other one is the things that I want, right? And these things can really block me from seeing God. That's right there inside me. But in some form or other, it is there. But really, it's absolutely there. Like that fundamental, that basic idea of God is right there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself, right? So we open our minds and our eyes and we see the demonstrations of things that are beyond all of this. And, you know, if we look, we see it. There's miracles, there's things that we could never explain by human power. I could never explain it by my own, by my own hands or by the hands of other people. And those, when I look at the world that way, I'm far better able to, to get this fundamental idea deep down inside. So we open our minds and our eyes and we see the demonstration of things that are beyond all this. And that's why I think it's a good idea for someone who's, you know, in, in the early steps, who's struggling, who's not really certain of God's existence. You know, I think it's a great idea to take a, a pen and paper and start looking for miracles, right? Really start looking for demonstrations of God's presence. And it's there. I mean, if you start looking for it, it's, it's truly there. You start to see it, you start to see things. And that's the mindset that we need to have. We open our minds and our eyes and we see the demonstrations. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we had for a friend. And sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. And, um, you know, I always love Janet points out that, um, that God gave us this, he implanted this in the idea right inside us. He gave us eyes, nose, ears, mouth, arms, legs, and a fundamental idea of himself right there inside us. And really all we need to do, it says, if our testimony, so remember that's what we share, our testimony, our stories, our testimony is supposed to help sweep away prejudice. So when we listen to other people share their story, we're supposed to listen for people that are helping us sweep away prejudice that aren't clinging 
to prejudiced ideas, meaning ideas that there is no God and I don't believe in God and there can't be a God and that religion stinks, right? And this faith doesn't work. And this form of, of OA is no good. And this anything that's a prejudiced, right? Is what we're supposed to sweep away. We're not supposed to embrace that. So if our testimony helps sweep away prejudices, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, right? So my testimony should help sweep away the prejudice, should encourage you to think honestly, right? To have some honest thinking, encourages you to search diligently. Then if you wish, you could join us on the broad highway. And with this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. So the testimony, our shares and examples should help us do three things. Sweep away prejudice. My story, when I tell my story, it should get rid of prejudice thinking. I should tell my story presented in a way that shows you perhaps how I came in scoffing and how I no longer look to be a scoffer, right? Two, enable you to think honestly, to help people get honest. How do we enable people to think honestly? How do we enable people? How can we help one another get honest and real? Well, one, we model it. We model what it means to be honest and real. Remember, we're not superior to anybody. Those that get recovered, they're not above anybody. They just, right, I heard Shannon uh, say they just got the, they just got the medicine quicker, right? They got the answer quicker. So we offer people acceptance and we model what it means to be honest ourselves. We don't stand in judgment of people when they tell us things. We don't shun them. We don't belittle them, right? Um, Three, encourage you to search diligently within yourself. We encourage people to seek God through prayer, through meditation, through demonstration. So, you know, uh, for me, um, I think it's important when I speak with people and they're, especially if they're struggling with something, my go-to had better be prayer. My go-to, what I would suggest to someone has to be prayer because I want to help them search diligently for God within themselves. To look to prayer, to look to meditation, not necessarily tell them what to do, but to encourage them to find God, right? Through prayer, through meditation, through demonstration. You know, um, I would say for myself, if um, someone calls me for a problem and they want to share about it, um, I'm like, I'm like a I'm like a prayer collector. I love prayers. And so if somebody, you know, wants to discuss a problem, I might, might listen and, and be supportive, right? Because we want to encourage honesty and love and support. And, and, um, and then I share my own, how I might have experienced something similar and what helped me get through it. And then I always try to leave them with a prayer, either one that I've found or one that I've listened to. And I really try 
um, to keep my ears open and my heart open, even in the following days for a prayer that I think might be useful for them. And I mean, what I find amazing is, is that if you start sharing prayers with other people, people start sharing prayers with you. And I never fail to get the prayer that I need for whatever occasion it seems to be. It's like, it's, there's this incredible consciousness, this God consciousness that we awaken inside one another. And I see it happen all the time. A prayer will come across my way or a sponsor you will tell me, I cannot believe so-and-so just sent me this prayer. It's exactly what I'm going through. Um, and those are further demonstrations of how we search diligently. And if you do these three things with an attitude of open-mindedness, hungry for God, right? Hungry for God. It says, you know, it's interesting because in the spiritual experience, which is referenced, it's the appendix and it's referenced here. There's a bar. It talks about this bar, this block to having a spiritual awakening. It's contempt prior to investigating. It's having an attitude, a closed-minded, this is beneath my consideration kind of an attitude. And we're actually, you know, we're supposed to do the opposite. Nothing, if I'm in enough pain and if I'm really searching for God, it should not be beneath my consideration. I should certainly consider, especially if it's coming from someone who's living in peace and in relationship with their conscious, you know, their conscious creator. So with that attitude, open-minded, right? Open-minded attitude, you cannot fail. We can't fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. And this is a promise. We're promised that we will be aware of God. It will come to you. It doesn't mean in step two, you get it. Step two, you might not come to know God at that moment, but you're sort of given this reassurance. Keep up, keep on. It's gonna come to you. It's gonna come to you. It's gonna come to you. Page 56, we will experience, you know, now there's all about the minister's son. And um, you know, Janet shares a lot about the minister's son and I'm you know, what, what's incredible is that his prayer was really that real third step kind of prayer, like not a prayer telling God what he wanted, but a prayer where, you know, God, I've been doing this all wrong. And I don't know, I don't know what I want. I mean, that's really my prayer. It's that I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to want. I don't know what I'm supposed to need. All I know is that I need you, right? And that when I take this simple attitude, like God, I'm gonna, I've been doing it all wrong. I want what you want. I wanna know what you want me to know. I wanna be who you want me to be. I wanna believe what you want me to believe. I wanna do what you want me to do. And what happened to him when he, when he took that position? He was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide of blood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. 
I just love, to me, I love that name for God, infinite power and infinite love. Like that's, that's what I needed. I needed infinite power. I needed far more power than I had. Far more, I needed more powerful than the food. I needed more powerful than me. I needed more powerful than selfishness than any human solution out there. And I needed this power to be infinitely loving. I needed a God that cares about me. Not a God that was aloof, not a God that set things in motion and then let it just unfold as it may. You know, sometimes I've, I've heard in the past people say that, you know, they've experienced some tragedies and what helps them is to understand that if God could have done something, he would have. And I don't know that that gives me comfort. I, for me, I, I need a God that's infinitely powerful and infinitely loving. And unfortunately, I not or fortunately, I only have human perspective. And so it might seem horrific, some things that some people walk through and go through, but I still need to believe in a loving, infinitely loving God and an infinitely powerful God that perhaps someday, maybe I'll get to understand, maybe I won't, maybe I won't, you know? And that's gonna have to be, oh, for me, it's gonna have to be okay for me. Because the consciousness does not mean that I get to know the intricacies, the details of what God was thinking, right? But that I just get to know that there is a God. And he stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. And for the first time, he stood in conscious companionship with his creator. And so we get an opportunity to live in the presence, the awareness of infinite power and infinite love. And then we get to have a relationship, a companionship, a friendship, a connection to this infinitely powerful and infinitely loving force. And that's what we're promised, right? So I think my, you know, when I, my big real understanding that I want to pass on about we agnostics is that um, it said in the beginning, those who think they're agnostic, those who believe that they're agnostic, but our goal is to let go of that. Our goal is to, is to, is to not cling to our agnosticism, right? And because in order for me to have a relationship, to stand in the presence of infinite power and love, I need to be aware that it exists. And I need to have certainty that it exists. And when I have the awareness and the certainty that it exists, my problems, even the big ones, become survivable. So remember in the beginning, I said, I, I, I bristled at the thought of God because the data I had gathered was how could there be a God when I've experienced loss? But I come to this point where I instead, I feel infinite power and love. 
even in the face of difficult obstacles, even in the face of some of the most horrible things that somehow God gives us the strength and the resources. And I have to tell you, one of the most incredible things that's happened for me is that has also provided me with a community of people who have also experienced many of these losses and many of these difficulties and believe that there's a God as well. And those are the relationships that have helped supported me and sustain me. And those are the things that I wanted all along. I just never knew it. They're much more powerful than the food ever could be. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Melissa. Did you want me to stop? You got. You want me to stop the recording?